As uh, Chloe mentioned, we're going to be kicking off a new series this morning, and um, I'm really excited to be uh, into this. And um, just as I kind of say hello and we regather here, I want to say hi to everybody online um, who's going to be hopefully joining us a bit later. Um, and I just wanted to intro a little bit on why we are thinking about jumping into an eight-week series called Beauty, Goodness, and Truth, Creativity, and the gospel. Why uh, jump into uh, doing this? And there's really kind of three uh, key reasons why I really felt like this is a place that I uh, want us to go and dig into uh, as a church. Uh, firstly, it's the case that you know often when we think about what does it mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is Christianity all about? Often the things uh, that comes to mind is about kind of uh, morality or um, just being nice people. And of course, you know, what does it mean to be a great Anglican, right? These are normally the things that firstly uh, come to mind. And of course, these things are good and right uh, and true. But do you know what? There's so much more uh, that the Bible has to say about what does it mean to be um, a fully alive human being than just those things. Of course, it includes those things, but it's so much uh, more than that. And in fact, creativity, um, the sense of actually where to participate in the unfolding of God's will, we're joining it with the Spirit, is actually equally a part of what does it mean to be um, a, a person who's following Jesus, a person who's alive to the Spirit, just as much as prayer ministry and leading the worship and doing preaching and all that kind of stuff. All of that, of course, is important, but again, the, what I'm trying to say here is the categories are far larger and far more exciting and far deeper than that. So often is the case we reduce things down, and in fact, what the Bible's trying to do is expand things uh, out for us, and part of that expansion is to understand the amazing role that creativity plays in every part of human life, and in fact, in every uh, human being. Now, in saying that, when I'm talking about creativity, and virtually every speaker will say this, we're not just talking about poets and painters and potters, people who have like, taken a vow of poverty and will kind of never pay a power bill. We're not just talking about them. We're also talking about, uh, we're talking about plumbers and politicians. We're talking about policymakers, people who are in part of the police force, and anything else that starts with P, parenting. Right? All of these things involve elements of creativity. In fact, it's the call of God on our lives to inject into every situation something of God's beauty, goodness, and truth. And when we do that, we're becoming more that we're becoming what we're created to be. Not just images of God, but we become something like God. So that's point number one. Um, point number two is why are we doing this? Um, again, like um, not only do I want to expand the idea of what it means to follow Jesus and expand, therefore, the idea of what is this thing called creativity all about, but again, like it's so central to who we are as human beings. Human beings are created in the image of a creator. Now, that's a little hint, right? It's a little hint to us. If we are created in the image of a creator, therefore, a big part of what we do, right, is to be creative. I know it's not, it's not 
the logic's not too hard to follow, right? So this is like a central part for, for who we are. And so I want to see, like, what does it mean to come fully alive and to uh, participate in that? And the third reason is, you know, the reality is that becoming fully alive and, and, and bringing goodness and life, God's goodness, beauty, and truth into a situation takes creativity to do that because our context is always changing, right? We've got situations, we've got challenges today that people in the 1400s weren't facing, right? They had other issues like sanitation, right? I mean, we've also got those issues. <laughs> we've got different kinds of issues. So we, need, we, need, we can't just rehearse whatever they did in the 1400s or the, you know, in the early 1000s or even just replicate what was happening in the early church. The idea is, in fact, we've got to understand the context we're in really well, really understand that, and then bring creativity uh, into that moment. In that moment, we need to be thinking, gosh, how does God's goodness, beauty, and truth come into this situation? When you're teaching this child how to do algebra, to, to choose to kind of go like, I've got to solve this problem when I'm building this bridge. Or how do I communicate this set of issues to these people? And also, here, here we are, we've got a whole set of opportunities, business opportunities, education opportunities, um, just kind of a whole range of opportunities that never existed, again, in the 1400s, say, for example, that we don't that we've got today. And it's our role not to be like dead to that. We're to be actually to become alive to that. In fact, our job, our, like the job description God has given humanity, the job description given to each you know, person who's a follower of Jesus is to bring God's goodness, beauty, and truth into that situation with real newness and with you know, real uh, freshness. So, um, it's, this is not kind of a uh, situation where we can just kind of easily look in the back of the book, find the three things we're supposed to do, and apply them. What, what the story of the Bible is about is us becoming a certain kind of human being, a human being that can actually take situations and understand them in the light of the resurrection and the new creation that Jesus is bringing in, and participate in its unfolding. How are we going? Going good? That's the warm-up. Right, what we're going to do now is we're going to have a reading, and then I'm going to get into um, our first uh, talk of uh, the series. And I'd love to welcome Alyssa Scarlett. She's going to come and read. Come on up, my friend. Round of applause for this lady. She's doing great. Here we go. Here we go. The classic trick. The reading today is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through to chapter 2, verses 20, but just various verses as translated by Newt. <laughs> it's in the notes. I wasn't, should I have yeah, checked yeah, if I yeah. read that? <laughs> then God said, let make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Lord God took human and put human in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded human, you may eat freely of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to human to see what human would call them. And whatever human called every living creature, that was its name. Human gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Fakarongo kite kupu ate wairua kite hahi. And together we pray. Thanks be to God. Kia mo tonu tana kupu kia tato. Amine. Amine. Thank you. It's not just me randomly translating everything from the Bible to suit my own ends. I mean, you know, every preacher does that, but, you know, we've got. Not to say I'm a trained professional, but Julia, who sits at the back, is a trained professional, PhD in biblical languages. So I translate, you know, with fear and trembling, knowing that Julia's up the back. She could have a microphone and just say all sorts of things, all sorts of commentary along the way. So we're going to start, we're to talk about um, beauty, goodness, and truth. And I think the first place is to start is to realize that every created thing Every created thing is designed to reflect the beauty, goodness, and truth of God. You've got to think about this is the purpose of creation. It's not just uh, an amazing resource. It actually says something. It actually reflects something. It actually reflects something of its uh, creator. Let's have a look at this. All right, someone, obviously, we don't have to do animal you know, vegetable mineral, it's quite clearly kind of a vegetable, right? But we, have, we could have a game of botanical guess who. I'm, I'm up for that. Any ideas? Well, first of all, let's notice this. Okay, can you see what's going on here? See how you've got these little um, kind of pyramids of um, vegetation, and they basically have a spiral formation that are made up of a number of, um, of these little pinnacles. And then if you go out to the next, this is a bit slightly wider view of the situation. See, it's like it grows from the center out. And that curve is an exact, what's called a logarithmic curve. This is a curve that you see uh, in many places in nature, both at the cellular level, um, basically your nautilus shell takes this kind of curve, but also this is the curve that you see um, also within the Milky Way, the galaxy itself. So you can see you know, that there's like this beautiful curve that comes out in a logarithmic uh, way, and then all the other bits attached to that. It's, it's quite magnificent, right? Yeah, it's taken actually people with much bigger brains than probably all of ours collectively to figure out the maths of this. It's actually really wonderfully designed. It's super thoughtful. Has anybody got any idea what this is? I guess, yo. Guy, we've <laughs> got David Attenborough around the back. This is good. <laughs> this is so great. This is great. Yeah, if we shoot, like, let's go to the next slide. It's 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 a broccoli, right? Yeah, it's. And do you know where this is found? 
Do you know which country this is found? It's found uh, in the next slide, which is in my garden. <laughs> what I'm saying is, who designs broccoli like this? Who cares? Broccoli, for goodness sake, for the people who've just been given braces, this is the worst thing in the world, right? This is terrible. But who designs broccoli like this? Why would you do that? It's actually because it's got a purpose well beyond trying to torture your kids and getting it to eat, right? Getting them to eat the jolly thing. It's actually designed in such a way that it reflects something of God's goodness, something of God's beauty, something of God's truth. Every little thing that's been created is actually designed to reflect something of the creator, reflect something of God's goodness, something of God's beauty, and therefore something of the truth about who God is. What kind of being puts that much effort into broccoli? Ask yourself that question. Actually, a God who has creativity at the very center of who they are. Here's a big number. This number here uh, is 100 billion, right? 10 to the 11, 100 billion. That's a pretty big number when you think about it. 100 billion is the estimated, a conservative estimate, by the way, um, of the amount of stars in the, the Milky Way. Okay, a lot of stars. Here's another big number. 10 to the 14, that is 100 trillion. 100 trillion is a thousand times larger than 100 billion. 100 trillion is the amount of synapse connections in every human brain. In every human brain, there are more synapse connections, a thousand more synapse connections in every human brain than there are stars in the Milky Way. Is this landing for you? And do you know what else? No human brain gets mapped the same, right? There's these variations. So you could times 100. By the way, 100 trillion is a number that apparently the brain can't really conceive of, which is the irony of the situation since it's the very thing they're making up the brain. But um, for science nerds only. Um, but if you can times that by, you know, on the planet today, how many billion? We've got a good around 7 billion, right? Is that how many people on the planet today, roughly speaking, times that number, right? And what is this saying to us? It says the person beside you, the person is absolutely jammed to the gills of creativity, right? A hundred billion synapses, uh, synaptial uh, connections, actually jammed with creativity. Neurodiversity is actually a feature of humanity. It's not a bug. It's literally a feature. Uniqueness, the very fact that every human being's brain is mapped slightly different with 100 trillion like connections means that uniqueness, again, it's not a bug. It's a feature. It's a feature of who we are. And so the idea is, in fact, that we grow into that. The very worst thing to do is to try to become like the, you know, someone else. That job is already taken. You become who you're created to be. There's a uniqueness there that the Bible is saying that you are to live into. And that's because 
That uniqueness is required to reflect God into the world. So please, for the sake of the gospel, don't try to be somebody else. Understand who you are, understand that uniqueness, and be a part of reflecting that uh, into the world. Um, oh, I, um, if we can jump to the next slide, the importance of this uniqueness, the importance of understanding the creativity right at the very heart of creation was picked up by a guy in the uh, fourth century. His name is uh, Basil the Great. If we can just shoot back to Basil. Um, he says this, the world is a work of art displayed for the beholding of all people to make them know the one who created it. Not a single thing has been created without reason. Not a single thing is useless. Next slide. I want creation to fill you with so much admiration that everywhere, wherever you may be, the least plant may bring to you the clear remembrance of the creator. All things are created to reflect God's goodness. Human beings have got a particular role of reflecting God's goodness and glory and bringing God's truth and beauty uh, into the world. And you can see that this was like highlighted in the reading that Alyssa uh, read for us uh, today. And I wanted to actually highlight just a couple of things from that reading, particularly in regard to um, human beings. The, the thing is that we are able to reflect, or we are calling is to reflect into the world God's goodness and beauty and truth, reflect something of the creator into the world by doing a particular kind of thing. It's, it's actually about joining with God in the extension of creation. And um, this is what the point is being made here. So God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. The Lord God took human and put human in the garden to till it and keep it, and the Lord commanded human, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge, and evil, knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So this is the situation. God creates a garden, right? Then places human beings within the garden. And the goal here is for the humanity to take what God has created, to take what God has already established, and to extend it, to, to, to keep it until it. And Jim's going to unpack this a bit more uh, next week. But our role is to extend what God has already done. But it's actually even more than that. The story of the Bible is actually not just of creating endless garden. Actually, the story of the Bible begins with a garden, but it, also, but it actually extends and it um, grows and develops into a city. Let's have a look at this from um, Revelation. So it begins, In the day the Lord God made the earth and heavens, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And then, this is, the very, like, this is page two on the Bible. This is the last page of the Bible. And I saw the holy city, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God has come down to dwell with humans. There will be no more death or pain or, or pain anymore, since the first things have passed away. Look, I am making all things new. 
So creation, where we're called to actually participate in extending the garden, is not just a repetition of garden, it's actually an extension to create something new and to have something bigger. A city is where we're going. Now what's interesting about, let's, if we shoot back to the Genesis text, is that you'll notice the lack of you know, um, clear instructions, right? There's not a task list to be done here. Again, if we flip back, even the one before, thanks, Julia, um, here we've got God saying to humanity, I've put you in a garden, we want to extend it, but basically, don't eat that fruit, but the rest is yours. Do you see any more instructions than that? No, no, so what we have here is not so much an instruction step-by-step thing, just kind of like follow the steps and you'll get it done. What you have here is a story that creates like a brief or a design brief. The Bible is not trying to give us a set of instructions for us to robotically repeat, um, but rather the Bible is actually giving us a story, a story of a garden that extends out into a city which creates a design brief for us to participate in. How are we going? We're getting this? Yeah, so we're actually, in order to get from here uh, to here, we have to understand the flow of the story, and as we understand the flow of the story, we can participate in it rightly. And again, let's hit back, Irenaeus picked this up in the second century, and he says this, if we can jump to Irenaeus, sorry. Uh, he says this, he said, what could the visible fruit of the invisible spirit be? The Holy Spirit is sent to the entire universe, and since creation has been transforming it, carrying it forwards, the, the, especially to the final resurrection. So this idea of actually creation, a garden being extended into a city that actually becomes the resurrected creation is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit that was poured out right at the start. It's the work of the Spirit here, and it will become the work of the Spirit when it becomes fully resurrected. So what we see in Jesus is not only what God wants to do for humanity, actually what we see in the resurrected Jesus is what God wants to do for all of creation. The point being, when we participate in the unfolding of creation, when we participate in bringing goodness, beauty, and truth into the world and all the context that we do it in, right? Being a parent, as you're making lunches, as you are, again, like if you're a teacher, trying to have a child grasp the beauty and wonder of Shakespeare, taking, um, I don't know, taking, I mean, gosh, if you wanted to try try your patience, do driving lessons, all right? Into all these situations, God needs beauty, goodness, and truth to be revealed. But the point that Irenaeus' point is, is trying to make is, as we do that, that is participating in the work of the Spirit. We're participating in the work of the Spirit. And so when we create, when we inject into our world goodness, beauty, and truth, we, I want you to be alive to those moments where you actually sense the Spirit at work and actually realize that this is the case. Creativity is actually a spiritual practice 
just as much as contemplation and prayer and reading the Bible is, right? When you involve yourself in those acts, I want you to become alive to what God is actually doing. Become alive to where the Spirit might take you. And, it's, and be alive to the fact that the Spirit wants to partner with you and bring something new and good and alive uh, into this situation. Again, um, sorry to keep winding back to the third and fourth century, but um, again, Basil the Great, um, our friend, uh, he talked about this as like being like a person, it's like um, an, an artistic ability that a person may or may not, a uh, person uh, might have. That artistic ability is always present in their lives, but it becomes active and visible when the painter picks up the brush. Is this making sense? So in the same way, the Holy Spirit within each one of us becomes activated and made visible when we participate in the world, thinking about how we might bring goodness, beauty, and truth into it. Is that good? I oh, yeah, man, that is so good, right? I don't know if you've ever discovered this or felt this in like creative meetings or even just trying to think about how you solve certain kinds of problems, a sense of God's presence, a sense of something sparking and landing. That's actually the spirit at work. And here's the theology that helps us uh, to frame it all. But it's even just more than that. Creativity or bringing go God's goodness, beauty, and truth into whole, it's not just about a set of tasks or a way of doing things, right? It's not about just coloring in the lines and making things look nice. It's actually about becoming a certain kind of person. It's actually about becoming a certain kind um, of human being. Now, I'm going to employ, for this point, the wonders of Ikea. Thank goodness for the Swedish, right? Hermel Derb, so great. Now, um, this stool's been in our family for, I don't even know who made this. Um, anyway, who has one of these at home? Ikea, man, so great, right? God bless the Swedes. Volvos, you can keep, this I'll have. So, uh, love the Swedes. Now, one of the great things about Ikea, um, obviously, um, kind of got going in the early 40s, 1943, got really popular in the, uh, in the 50s post the war. And the idea is that um, basically your average Swede, um, or your average person, <laughs> they don't have to be particularly Swedish, um, you know, can actually uh, order one of these from their catalogues and then you can um, build it at home and then and off you go. It's a great idea, right? Absolutely great. Now, Ikea... Um, is completely different from the Bible. <laughs> and here's why. I know this is like, you're really trawling for illustrations here, Newt. But let me show you what I mean by this. So you go to the shop, Ikea. Here's how this works, right? You order this online, and the lovely people at Ikea, they send you a flat pack, and they send you an inst some instructions, and they send you a diagram, right? Just in case you put it together upside down. So they send you some instructions and, uh, and a diagram. And, next, and also, when you open the box, what's so great is you get all these things. They're all pre-cut. You know, no one had to saw a jolly thing. And it's got all the fittings that make it work. You've got all these little bolts and these little, um, little bits of steel here. And like, so it's pre-cut, it's put together, and essentially, it requires really, I mean, if you can put together the simplest Lego, you can put together Ikea furniture, right? 
most, well, that's the idea. Has anyone struggled with, don't put your hands up. But it's, it's not an IQ test, but essentially the idea, the whole idea of IKEA is that really it requires nothing of you. No personal formation involved, no personal set of skills required. You get the thing, you make it, you get it done, and then you get back to your life, right? Now, I want to um, contrast that with what the Bible is um, suggesting we do here. So, this is the design project, to make a stool, right? This is, this is, the, this is the idea. Now, if we place this instead of garden, if we place instead of like, you know, creation to resurrection. We said, you know, the Bible basically uh, gives us um, the design brief to make a stool. But how it does that is by telling a story. So it's not a set of instructions for you to follow. Rather, you get a story and a, kind of a brief for us to uh, achieve this, right? This is what we're going for. Now, in the Bible, you don't get in the world of you know, Genesis 1, you don't get pre-cut wood and fittings. What you get done is you just get placed in the garden where there's a tree, right? I couldn't bring a tree in. I tried. I literally tried to bring a tree. This is the best I could do. So you get placed, you get a design brief, and then you get this, right, wood. Now I weighed this. It weighs exactly the same as this, okay? So there is science behind this. So here it all is. This is pre-this. Now, if you've been given a kind of brief and you've been given this, how do you turn this into this? What's required to turn this into this? I, let me put it this way. How many people here could turn this into this? Yeah, this guy, that guy, anybody else? Come on, Eleanor, you could turn this into this, surely, right? You literally have to um, become a certain kind of person to turn this into this. And the regular term we call that kind of person is a carpenter or a furniture maker, right? You, in order to turn this into this, it's not really this that has to do the majority of the changing, it's you who has to do the majority of the changing, right? You have to become a certain kind of person, and you become a certain kind of person, not just by watching English YouTube. I mean, it's helpful, but it's not gonna really get you there. The best thing to do is go and have a chat with Brendan, or Peter Cox, or Eleanor, maybe. <laughs> I don't know why I'm picking on you, mate. But, I mean, you work for Beckers, so I thought like you could handle it. You can build anything. Um, and then you basically you take an apprenticeship and you learn how to do it. And then they show you the skills that they learned, and then you become a carpenter yourself. Is this making sense? Right. So you need to become a certain kind of person. But do you know what? Here is uh, the payoff. Next slide. Actually, oh, the one before, gave away the game. You follow the kind of instruction book approach to living, the I care approach to living, and you're gonna get one kind of thing, right? You, th this is what you get when you take that approach. You become a carpenter, and you can turn this into how many kinds of those? One or a hundred? 
A hundred, are we, is this landing for you? You see how important this is, right? Is this, can you see the creativity involved here? Can you see the innovation, right? And also, it's not just becoming one kind of person. How many people work in construction or in design and doing carpentry at the moment? In here, anybody? One, two, can you please stand up for a second? Just, just stand, just for a second, just a, look at these people. These are different kinds of people. It's not just one kind of person that can do this. There's variety and actually the kind of person you can be as you make these kinds of things. What I'm saying is that we become, you know, in order to participate in the unfolding of creation, in order to become what God intended human beings to be, human beings that bring goodness, beauty, and truth into the world, people who are able to reflect not only God's goodness into the world, but God's creativity in the world, we have to become a certain kind of human being. Now, if creation is heading towards resurrection, what kind of human being would you apprentice yourself to get there be? Who is the one person who has been resurrected? It's like Sunday school, isn't it? It's like the God, Jesus, or the Bible. It's the person of Jesus. That's why we apprentice ourselves to Jesus. That's why we become followers of Jesus. Jesus shows us what it means to be a fully alive human being. Jesus, the way that he engaged with God, the way he was fully alive to God's presence and God's power, the way that, God was, the way that Jesus was fully alive to other human beings, the way that Jesus was fully alive to the world, when we follow that way and learn to live the way that Jesus uh, did, we are then able to not only be people born in the image of God, we're able to reflect God's likeness and where God is taking this world also into the world. Okay, that's why we become followers of Jesus. And again, this might seem like, you know, on first reading of that or first feel of that, it's like, gosh, um, is this going to be kind of a conformity thing? Is this going to actually reduce my freedom as a human being? And in fact, the reality is it's the other way. Following Jesus is actually the path to true freedom. Have a look at this by James K. A. Smith. Such freedom doesn't expand with the demolishing of boundaries or the evisceration of constraints. Rather, it flourishes, not as a ho-hum life of rule-following, it's an invitation to a life that is secure enough to risk, centered enough to be courageous, like the rails of a roller coaster that lets you do loop after loop. It's the grace that guards your being, the gift that gives you yourself again. The person of Jesus came into the world not to create Christians. The person of Jesus came into the world that we might become fully alive human beings. That is the message of the gospel. That is the invitation of the gospel. And through this series, we want to unpack this more and more. You know, the goal of St. Augustine's is not that you just learn the Lord's Prayer and know the Ten Commandments, whatever they are. Right? It's actually that we become the kinds of people that are centered enough, that are courageous enough, 
and that know God's grace enough that we might reflect that goodness, beauty, and truth into the world. That other people, that many, many others can get in on what does it mean to become fully alive because they also might sense and feel and know and experience something, what it means to be fully alive. So that's where we're going with the series. So formation is the key to freedom. Our lives become fully alive when we not only participate in the spirit as we're gathering here today, but as we participate in the unfolding of creation and bringing it alive with God's goodness, beauty, and truth. And we do that because God has placed within us an enormous creative capacity, enormous creative capacity to know God's goodness, to reflect God's goodness, and draw other people into that goodness also. What we want to do now, let's stand together and kick the Ikea away. Goodbye. Get behind me, Ikea.